Council Gift. This is Christian Questions. Voltaire once said, He who is merely just is severe. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christian Questions Talk Radio with a Purpose with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Rick, that perspective is based on godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, all in a politically free zone. Jonathan, the best part is this. We talk and you listen, and then you talk and we listen. You can also contact us at our website, ChristianQuestions.com. I'm Rick. And I'm Jonathan. And we're glad you've chosen to spend some time with us on this fine Sunday morning. And Jonathan, what is the subject uh, for today? Well, Rick, our question is, does the same God rule in the Old and New Testament? And our theme scriptures... Scriptures, yeah, that's right. There's more than one. ...are based (laughs) first in Isaiah... Chapter 45, verse 7, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. All right, so there's an Old Testament view. Or, New Testament, 1 John, chapter 4, verse 8, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So, Jonathan, those scriptures seem to just dramatically contradict one another. They do. Do and, and seem to do that. And, and it reminds me of, of Tevye and Fiddler on the Roof. He's right and he's right. How can they both be right? And that's really what we're going to be looking at uh, this morning. Folks, ours is a world of great contradiction. Some say that the ends justify the means, and others say that the means are an end in themselves. Some say equal treatment is giving everyone the same, while others say that equal treatment is giving each what they need. Some say that there's a higher judge of morality, while others say that morality can only be determined by those whom it affects. Some say that God is a God of a dual personality, the Old Testament God of anger and the New Testament God of love. While others say, and by others we mean us, that God is one and his purpose is one. Folks, stay with us this morning as we seek to demonstrate why we believe God is the same glorious God in both the Old and New Testaments. Now, Rick, this program is not for the faint of heart. No. This, Jonathan, we are going to get in, folks, and, and we're going to apologize ahead of time because we're going to get into some things. Uh, is essentially uh, some of the darker parts of the Bible that nobody really ever likes to talk about. That's right. Unless you're trying to blow the Bible up. And most avoid. Right, right. And... and we decided that this was an important enough subject. It, as a matter of fact, it was brought to our attention by a listener, uh, an online listener in New York. And uh, he had emailed me, uh, and we established a correspondence and so forth. And he asked about doing a subject about this uh, because it's such a big thing, and it creates so much um, uh, dialogue and, and so much controversy. And it's a necessary subject to talk about. So in order to, 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 dem- to demonstrate that, we're going to, Jonathan, in this first hour, create chaos. That's, a, that's our objective. We're going to create some chaos. The following are accusations about our Holy Father in Heaven by those who we believe simply do not understand Him, either through ignorance or through choice. We're going to state these accusations here as we have heard them so that we can deal with them one at a time and answer them. So, these are horrendous 
accusations against God. It's so early in the morning. I know, but you know what? That's what that's what the first segment is. So, folks, this morning we're get prepared. St- we're starting, and like you said, this is not for the faint of heart because we're going to get into some scriptures that that most just look at and say, "No way." That's- or most don't even know they're in the Bible. That's true. So, what is the first? Well, here I'll I'll, I'll give you the accusation, and Jonathan, you give us the scripture. First accusation: the God of the Old Testament is a merciless killer of men, women, and children. In the name of conquest. Scripture? First Samuel 15.3 Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has and do not spare him but put to death both men and women, children and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So those are the words of God spoken through the prophet Samuel. And we're not denying that. And they're right to the point, aren't they? They are. They are right to the point. So that's the first accusation. The second accusation, and Jonathan, in many ways, these can sometimes get worse. Yes. The second accusation is God, the God of the Old Testament, is a God who orders cannibalism. Leviticus twenty six twenty nine. Further, you will eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters you will eat. And you read a scripture like that and you say, what? And, and like you said, most of us don't even realize that these scriptures are there. But they are. And yes, that is the word of God. Next accusation. The God of the Old Testament blesses, not only, not, not just tolerates, but blesses the murder of children. Psalms 137, 8 and 9. O daughter of Babylon, you devastated one. How blessed will be the one who repays you with the recompense with which you have repaid us. How blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your little ones against the rock. So not only are we talking about murder of children, it is being very graphic in its description. Dashes your little ones against the rock. And again, folks, I apologize But this is a very necessary subject. It is. It's a necessary subject because there are those that look at the scriptures and they point to these things and they'll put this stuff all out on YouTube and all of that kind of stuff saying, God is a monster, God is a monster, God is a monster, here's why, here's why, here's why. And this needs to be discussed. So in order to be able to discuss it uh, um, fully... And, And Rick, on the other hand... There are those that are Christians that avoid this because they don't know how to I- explain it. Right. And, and so that's on the other side of the spectrum. So this is a, and this is actually going to be a two-part program because there's so much to deal with here. Uh, and we want so badly to put it in its right perspective exactly. that we need to, to take it apart and, and go through it very carefully. So we're going to be dealing with some hideous things this morning, folks, as we attempt to put them all in perspective. If you have a thought, We'd love to, and it could be pro or con, that's okay. Yes. We'd love to hear from you at 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And we want to hear what you have to say about today's topic. Post your comments on our Facebook page and our blog. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. All right, so uh, we've gone through what? One, two, we've only gone through three uh, accusations. There's plenty more. Mm -hmm. Uh, Next accusation. The God of the Old Testament is an angry and a vengeful God. Numbers 1133. 
While the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very severe plague. Now think about this. This is where God provides the meat for them to eat, and as soon as they start eating it, he puts this plague upon them. So you, you look at that and say, you know, that's a demented approach. That's, that's the accusation. Mm-hmm. And, that's the accusation, and, yes. Right, right. And, and like I said, first segment of this program this morning, folks, is to create chaos. We're doing that on purpose. There's no explanation of anything. We're just laying out the, the, the monumental task before us, actually. But, but we're going to deal with each one, one step at a right, time. Right, right, right. So you really do have to stay with us for this entire program. And if we're not on in your area for the second hour... Make arrangements. Go to ChristianQuestions.com, click Listen Live, and stay with us. Yeah, change that. your plans. That's right. Listen to the program. This is really, really important. Next, next accusation, Jonathan. The God of the Old Testament is a racist. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the people's who are on the face of the earth. So he picks one people and just ignores everybody else. I like you. I essentially hate everybody else. That's the accusation. And, and people say, okay, they look at that and say, well, yeah, yeah, that, your, your God is a racist. There you have it. Next, and th- this is another one of those really hideous uh, examples, Jonathan, but the next accusation against God Almighty is that the God of the Old Testament sanctions rape. Deuteronomy 21 verses 10 through 12. When you go out to battle against your enemies, and the Lord your God delivers them into your hands, and you take them away captive, and see among the captives a beautiful woman, and have a desire for her, and would take her as a wife for yourself, then you shall bring her home to your house, and she shall shave her head and trim her nails. And uh, and, and Jonathan, I just want to back up for a quick second here. This list is a list that I was actually... We, we have several folks who help us put together research and sound bites and things for programs. Sure. And one of the things that one of the researchers uh, for Christian Questions sent to me was uh, a YouTube video that... It had no audio. It was just a video. And it listed these scriptures and several, several others under these, these basic headings. Okay. So, so when I say these are the accusations, I'm not just sort of cherry-picking things out, I'm, I'm actually taking them right off of the list of somebody who said, see how awful the God of the Old Testament is. And you say this is a God of love? Ha! So we're, we're actually taking the accusations from one who was actually doing the accusing. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I think that's important to, to establish. That is a good point. That's where we, we got all of this. So, you know, that one was the God of the Old Testament sanctions rape. The next accusation, there's two more. The God of the Old Testament slaughters innocent children for merely being immature children. 2 Kings 2, 23 and 24. Then he went up from there to Bethel. And as he was going up by the way, young lads came out from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. When he looked behind him and saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two female bears came out of the woods and tore up 42 lads of their number. All right, so you have, it looks like you have these children just being children, and God, uh, through Elisha, um, creates and puts this bear there to, to maul 42 of them. And the last accusation that we're going to be putting on the table, and, and, and folks, I know there are others, but we, we picked these eight 
because we felt that these kind of covered the gamut mm-hmm. of, of mm-hmm. the kinds of things that need to be dealt with. The last one is the God of the Old Testament is the author of evil. Isaiah 45, verse 7. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. So you read that scripture and you say, God creates evil, yet there are other themes, because that was one of our theme scriptures. Sure. But the other theme scripture says, God is love. Mm-hmm. All right, well, which is it? Which is it? And as we go through this, Jonathan, there are several things we're going to have to put in order in order to be able to, to, to go through this logically. And again, folks, if you have a thought, it's 866 985 toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and, and that means we're on right now. And this is a great program to go to CQ Rewind, the full edition, to check out these scriptures, but also see our response to them. Right. You want to be <laughs> you want, able to, want to see both sides of the story. And, and it's, it's one thing to hear it, but it's another thing to see it, to see it written out. Oh, and, true. And how, to, how to put it all in order. So a, as we go through this, Jonathan, one of, the, one of the points I want to make here before the break is that as we look at the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, we believe it's absolutely the same God, uh, but we believe that God is the author of life. Yes, and the God of all time. Right. So those are two of the premises that we are personally going to be making and working through. God is the author of life, and God is the author of eternity, essentially. Yes. So that is going to help us understand all of these things. But these are very serious accusations against God. So the question is, how are we going to deal with and answer such things. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, does the same God rule in the Old and New Testament? Coming up, how can we or anyone defend the God of the Old Testament for all the evil that was done? Was it really evil? Can we know? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, does the same God rule in the Old and New Testament? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Rick, this is the first time we've ever had two theme scriptures and they seem to contradict. They absolutely do. The first theme scripture from the Old Testament basically says, God speaking, I make peace and I create evil. And the theme scripture from the New Testament says, well, God is love. And how can you be love if you create evil? And in the first segment, Jonathan, and we, we listed off eight very serious accusations against God. And as you mentioned, we created chaos with that because <laughs> yes. you, you didn't want to hear it. You, no, you, didn't you like don't. Hearing you, it. you don't want to hear it. You don't like hearing it. So let's continue in that vein and let's go to a soundbite from our friend Richard Dawkins, the world-renowned atheist, and listen to his uh, a little bit of his perspective on God, the Bible, specifically the Old Testament. The God of the Old Testament has got to be the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it, petty, vindictive, unjust, unforgiving, racist, an ethnic cleanser urging his people on to acts of 
genocide. If God doesn't set a good moral example, who does? Abraham, the founding father of all three great monotheistic religions, the man who would willingly make a burnt offering of his son Isaac, maybe not. So you can tell the road he's going down. <laughs> yes. And again, why do we play things like that? Because folks, people think those things. And if you are a Christian and you believe in God and you believe that God is love, then what do you do with all of that? How do you put it all in perspective? Jonathan, this segment, we're, gonna, we're really going to focus on putting the, you, the human race in context here. Okay. All right, and then we're going to get to the accusations once we do that. But uh, the, the first part of putting the human race in context is I want to start a, a very short story and use it as a, a point of illustration. The story goes like this, and this is a story I made up for the, for the point of illustration. Once there was a farmer, a very generous man who cultivated all manner of crops, grain, vegetables, and fruit, and raised all manner of livestock and animals. The sole purpose of his farm was to provide from the bounty of his farm for those who lived in the surrounding town. Okay? That's, that's, so, what do we know about this farmer? Well, he was a generous provider. Right. Okay, let's pause the story there. We're going to come back to it later on in this segment and get some more details on it. And, and again, the, the point of the story is to illustrate uh, a point. So, as we look at the God of the Old Testament in light of these, ac- these accusations, and the accusations, he's a merciless killer of men and women and children, he orders cannibalism, he blesses the murder of children, he's angry and vengeful, he's racist, he sanctions rape, he, he slaughters innocent children because they're immature, and he's the author of evil. Those are the accusations we're going to be dealing with. As we look at, at God in light of all of that, we need to reestablish something we said in the first segment. God is the author of life. Yes, and, and of all time, uh, eternity. So, what we're saying is, if you look at this whole thing and say, okay, God has a plan, then it helps us to be able to put these things in a better perspective. So, the plan started out with Adam and Eve, correct? Yes, it did. There, was a, there were rules put in place, and did Adam and Eve just simply obey because that's what they wanted to do? Uh, no, no, they didn't. There was there were disobedient actions by Adam and Eve, and there were consequences, Rick. Right, they produced a number of significant consequences. So let's lay that out just very very quickly here. Genesis two fifteen to seventeen. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. So that is the command, and the consequence was stated in the next part of the verse. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. So you have the command, and you have the consequences laid out. And what ends up happening in Genesis 3, verses 4 to 5? But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So because of those comments by Satan... There was a choice made mm-hmm. to suspend their allegiance to God because of disobedience and follow rather Satan. They followed they look, they had advice two ways. They had God's advice saying do this and live in the garden forever if you don't if you if you disobey you will die. And Satan contradicting that clear advice from their creator. All right now and let's let's make it make it clear. God was their creator. 
Satan contradicts that and says, oh, no, 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 you're not going to die. Don't, don't worry about a thing. God just knows you're going to be like him. And so they, they decide to follow Satan. So and they made a new allegiance. They absolutely made a new allegiance. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. In their case... The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So what happened to the world of mankind is that we are now born under the allegiance to Satan and Satan's guidance that was put in place in the Garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. That's what happens. And you say, well, that's not fair. Well, folks, look at life and look at, uh, you know... your children growing up under your tutelage and, beca- and, and your tutelage is based on your personal experience, which is based on your family's experience, mm-hmm. which is based on generations and so forth. Yes. But that's just the way life works. Okay? Life is, is, is an experience that's handed down from generation to generation. Once sin entered, sin then ruled. Yet there's hope given by God in the midst of these sins, show, and that shows God's foresight and God's character because God is the author of life. And, and he, the author of time, which is eternity. And so he gives hope in the midst of that. Genesis three thirteen to 15. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Now that doesn't sound like hope. That sounds like a curse. That's right. Okay. But. Here comes the hope. Verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So there is hope given at the very beginning, at the very entrance of sin. Why is this important when you're dealing with all of those specific accusations against God? Because if you understand that God is a God of time, like you were saying, Mm -hmm. God is a God who has a plan at the very entrance of sin, the plan was beginning to be revealed. See, and that's the thing you have to see. You have to, you have to be able to embrace to be able to understand all of these things. So, what are the generational consequences of sin entering? And, and let's go through these uh, carefully here. Created to live in the garden. That's what humankind, that's what their destiny was supposed to be for all time. That's the way God laid it out. Had sin not entered, guess what would have happened to that garden? It would still be here. It, and it would, would be beautiful. It would have expanded, and it would have expanded to house. It would have stayed perfect. Right. Exactly. But what happened? Sin entered, and, and what happened? They were banished as a result of choosing sin and the allegiance to Satan. So now you have a left turn where the world of mankind was told by God to turn right. It's like, it's like having the, uh, the, uh, the uh, what do you call the little thing you put in your dashboard and it talks to you, it gives you directions. GPS. GPS, thank you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> your wife, Jewel, is here in the studio with yep. us. <laughs> She's like, no, she just gave me the answer. like, oh, wait, I've talked? Of course you should have. <laughs> the GPS. You know, God said, you know, uh, turn right at the next decision. Oops. But you get to the next decision and you hear this other voice that says turn left. And you don't follow it, and now you end up in the wrong place. So they're banished as a result of choosing sin and an allegiance. And, 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 you know, I keep saying it's an allegiance to Satan, and it truly is. Because you've decided to follow Satan's advice to the way you should live, rather than the advice of God Almighty. Now, what has that got to do with all of these horrible accusations against God? Everything. Quite a bit. Everything. Let, let's keep going through these points, and then we'll get back to the, those accusations. And Adam and Eve 
were unable to re-enter the garden. And that was the consequence because God said in the day that you eat thereof, you know, dying you shall die. And so, so there's a sense of um, you've left and you can't now go back. And Rick, the next point. Therefore, all generations to follow are now subject to our first parents' choice as to where to live, essentially in the prison house of sin and death, where the rules would change to rules of imperfection and rules of short-sighted mortality. All right, so what you have here is you have a sense that now the way that God would oversee the experiences of humankind would be in the context of sinfulness. Right. They're in the context of a of a of a handicapped way to deal with life. The the way that God wanted man to be able to deal with life would have been to give them perfection and all of the things that they needed so they could provide for themselves and, and, and things would go in a godly fashion. But it didn't work out that way by man's choice. Again, this is not something that God didn't trick them. No he didn't. Adam made a choice. So now you have all of humanity raised up in the prison house of sin and death. And if you're living in a prison house, the rules are different than if you're living in freedom. That's right. We, as a race, are not free. We are bound by sin. Like it or not, no matter what you do in your life, you cannot get away from that being bound by sin. What has that got to do with all those accusations against God? Plenty, because God is dealing with us in the context of sin and death. And, and I'll explain that in a moment. Let, let's just go to these next two scriptures here. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So David is telling us that this is, this is the way we are. And then Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So God is dealing with the world of mankind in the context that the world of mankind has set for itself by following Satan. And Rick, uh, we were talking before the program, the picture of mankind is a physical picture, yes, isn't it? Yes. The peoples and the land, he's dealing with them because of their physical because, nature. Because we're physical, that's right, it's the physical creation that God created. Now, the thing about it is, if you are going to be picking on the Bible and you're going to be picking on God, here, another, another point before we get back to that little story we started the segment with, uh, is that if you're going to be doing that, I would challenge you to admit one of two things. Admit that either you're just cherry-picking little verses from the Bible to show how bad God is, or are you going to be willing to admit that you're willing to accept the Bible as a whole, a whole account, a whole story, a whole prophecy, a whole picture, so you can clearly define God? Are you trying to, to, to uh, make God into a monster because you're just looking at the Bible and trying to prove your points? Ooh. Or... Are you looking at the Bible to try to find the truth? Wow. Well, and, and Jonathan, to me, that's that, powerful. that is huge because it's so easy to pick a little point here and pick a line there and pick a story but, but here. But what happens if the truth isn't the way you want it to be? So be it. So be it. The truth is the truth. And what is the truth? You have to be willing to look for the truth. Now, granted, there are several stories in the Old Testament that can make God look like a monster. Yes, and, and you can say, well, look at all those stories. And I say, and we are. We are. Here we we're, go. We're not looking at all of them, <laughs> but we're, we're, we're taking a sampling. And the point is, how do you deal with those stories? And the answer is, in the context, A, in which they were written, and in the context of the overall period of the plan of God. 
Is it right to avoid them? No, of course not. You have to face them. You, you don't have, have to, to hide from them. That's right. And, oh. and we're, we're not planning on it. And folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday morning from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. Stay connected to Rick and I any day or time. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. There's exclusive videos, audio clips, our great rewind tool, and much, much more. Right after the show or any day this week, jump onto ChristianQuestions.com. And, folks, look, we'd love to hear from you what your thoughts are, especially about a program like this. You can also email us at rick, R-I-C-K, at christianquestions.net. Jonathan, remember that little story I started telling at the oh, beginning? about the farmer. And, and what did we know about the farmer? He, he was a generous provider. Okay. We know that because that's the context of the story. Now, let me just give you another little paragraph to make a point. This farmer was preparing a great feast for the people. He needed to kill several of his animals to feed so many, so he set about his work. A passerby noticed the farmer with blood on his hands and clothing and was appalled by the violence and the killing that was obviously happening. So what was assumed of this farmer by this passerby? Well, obviously, it would look like he's a violent and bloodthirsty man. And he could have gone and spread the word that this man's hands are full of blood. Everywhere I looked, I saw carcasses and I saw blood. Now, was that, was that the truth? Were there carcasses and blood? Yes, there were. The question is, why were they there? And the answer is because the farmer was feeding the town. So... If we don't take the story, and, and folks, you can say, yeah, but, you know, he slaughtered the animal. Well, look, if you eat meat, then somebody slaughters an animal for you. Let's get it straight, okay? <laughs> you may not do it, and we live in a real sanitized version of the world mm-hmm. at this point, but that, the, the world is bloody in, in, in so many different kinds of ways. The point is that you could easily misrepresent that farmer by dropping in on one little part of his life and then saying that's what he is. So make a judgment. And not look into the context. Right, right. So what is important is context. And so now, in, our, in the next segment, we're going to begin dealing with these horrible, horrible accusations. And every single one of them, folks, we're going to put in their proper context. How are we going to find the context? We're going to look at the scriptures around it. We're going to see the history around it. And then we're going to figure out what kind of God is the God of the Old Testament. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning is, Does the same God rule in the Old and New Testament? Coming up, Did God sanction cannibalism? You've got to be kidding. That's nuts. Are you sure? Well, that's what the scripture says. Really? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, does the same God rule in the Old and New Testament? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now in our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, this is a very, very difficult subject because we're dealing with very specific and very hideous, frankly, uh, accusations against God. 
And so just, just to just add a little bit more fuel to the fire of accusation, let's go back to Richard Dawkins uh, one more time and get his a uh, little bit more of his sense on the God of the Old Testament. How about Moses, he of the tablets which said, Thou shalt not kill? Well, the same man, it says in the book of Numbers, was incensed by the Israelites' merciful restraint towards the conquered Midianite people. He gave orders to kill all male prisoners and older women. But all the women children that have not known a man by lying with him, keep, keep alive, alive for yourselves. How is this story of Moses morally distinguishable from Hitler's rape of Poland or Saddam Hussein's massacre of the Kurds and the Marsh Arabs? So he brings up a very important and a very good point. And the answer is, let's look at context. The answer is, let's try to understand this, this where it belongs and how it belongs. And, and I think unless you do that, all you're doing is, is, is nitpicking and you're looking in on something that you're not trying to understand. Now, the question is, why aren't you trying to understand it? Is it because you don't know how to or because you don't want to? Good question. And that's an important question here. So our first accusation that we're going to be dealing with is the God of the Old Testament is a merciless killer of men, women, and children in the name of conquest. Now, it's a little bit different than what Mr. Dawkins was talking about. We'll get to some of that a little bit later. But, Jonathan, the scripture that we talked about that we're going to read a little bit more of now is in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 to 3. And this is dealing with Amalek, the Amalekites, not the Midianites like Richard Dawkins was talking about. Then Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has and do not spare him, but put to death both men and women, children and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. All right, so there is a clear, clear instruction through the voice of Samuel given to the king Saul to, to say, destroy all of the Amalekites. Don't leave anyone or any animal alive, period. Why, why would a God of love instruct such a horrible, horrible act of war? Rick, is this the first time history established in a, a conquest that you would wipe out everything? No, and, and that's part of the problem. Is the, the problem is you have to realize the, the, at the time in which uh, these, these accounts were, were happening, that was the way of war. Now, sometimes they would take spoils, uh, things uh, from, from the, the lands that they conquered, and I'm not talking just Israel, talking about all different nations. But generally, there was a, unless you were going to bring people in to be your slaves, you would only save the very best and you'd kill the rest. That's the way of war. That was the way of war in the Old Testament. That wasn't the way of Israel. That was the way of the world. Those were the rules in the prison house of sin and death. That's the way it worked. And we look at that and we say, that's hideous. Well, they had no way to support all of those other people. Let's go to McGee. He's a, a Bible commentator, and he sort of helps to put this into some perspective. These instructions may seem extreme to you if you're not familiar with the history of Amalek. Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way, when you were come up from Egypt, how he met thee by the way, and smote the hindmost of thee, 
even all that were feeble behind thee, when thou wast faint and weary, and he feared not God. Therefore it shall be when the Lord thy God hath given thee rest from all thine enemies round about, in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it, that thou shalt blot out all remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Thou shalt not forget it. So what happened was when Israel was, was delivered from slavery in the land of Egypt after 142 years of slavery, and they're delivered. And so this is not a, a nation that's really formal at this point. This is not a nation that has some great army. What happened literally is the Amalekites came up from behind and slaughtered. Many of the, the women and children the sort were lagging. The weak ones, That's the right. feeble. That's right. That's what actually happened. And the Lord God said, because of the, and I'm paraphrasing, because of the world, the way it is, because of the rules of the prison house of sin and death, these things will not be tolerated. And there will be eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. So that's what you have as, as a, as a, as a, um, as a uh, continuing consequence of these things. Now let's finish the, the commentary. Apparently Saul spared some of these people. And when we come back to the book of Esther, we will get acquainted with one of them, Haman. He tried to exterminate the Hebrew nation and would have succeeded had not God intervened. When we get God's perspective, we understand his immediate action. So there, there are several things, Jonathan. First of all, is what God ordered through Samuel, is it harsh? Yes. Absolutely, it is harsh. There's no getting away from it. There's no getting around it. You don't candy coat and say, well, he didn't really mean what he said. Yes, he did. He meant what he said. So how do you deal with that? You deal with that by understanding the general context. The rules of the prison house of sin require the labeling of it, of sin, through the eyes of strict justice. In order for God, the God of time, the God of a plan, the creator of life, to put his plan in order, he first had to label sin as sin. And how do you do that? You allow it to grow, you point it out, and your people are functioning in that, in that category, and you allow them to function that way. So he, he labels it. To reclaim everyone, to reclaim all, the first order is to clearly define consequences. God's law was just in the context of an unjust world and required the same harsh punishment of the enemies of God's people as those enemies themselves would have meted out to God's own people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that those were the ways of warfare and that's the way they fought. So it was evil. They fought back the same way they were fought against. Right. Now you say, well, why couldn't God's people have fought on a higher plane? Well, because they're in a world of sin and death. And at that point in the plan of God, the, the mission was to label sin and death, to label the rules of the prison house of sin as such. And Jonathan, the other thing is this. I know we say, well, it's still terrible to, 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 to execute the, the women and children. Yes, it is. God is the author of life. If you are going to pick on God and say, well, look at all these terrible things he did in the Old Testament, are you going to just take those little parts of the Old Testament or are you going to take the whole picture? Because God is also a God of resurrection. Of life. Yes. So if God can, can create life and then order life to be extinguished, God can also resurrect life. Those lives Those that were extinguished. Exact same lives. And that was the reason for Jesus and the ransom. So if we look at it, you can't look at it as just that little event because it's God you're talking about. Therefore, you have to look at it in terms of eternity. 
humanity, we can look at it in terms of the events. Mm-hmm. Because our lives are mortal, and we're here, and then we're gone. That's right. All right. Enough on that one. And there's plenty more to say. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. And that means we're on right now. And the conversation continues next hour online and all through the week. Christian Questions is live Sunday mornings and on demand with tons of topics to talk about featured in our audio archive, CQ Rewind, Facebook, and our blog. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. Let's go to the next one, Jonathan. The God of the Old Testament orders cannibalism. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commands so as to carry them out, then I shall give you rains in their season, so that the land will yield its produce and the trees of the field will bear their fruit. Indeed, your threshing will last for you until grape gathering, and grape gathering will last until sowing time. You will thus eat your food to the full and live securely in your land. Now, that doesn't sound anything like what the accusation is. No. But see, that's the context of this, this scripture that talks about eating your children, eating your sons and eating your daughters. You say, well, wait, how do you get to you will live securely, da 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 to eating your children? And, and the point, Jonathan, is, and this one especially, this one drives me crazy because this one is taken so completely and utterly out of context, it's hideous. And it just proves to me that those who are looking to point fingers at God... That's why, they, that's why they choose it. They're just, right. They're not looking to try to understand it. So, so God is saying, if you walk in my statutes, then you will live securely. So now let's continue to see what would happen. Let's go down. We're still in Leviticus 26. Let's jump down to verses 21 through 29. If then you act with hostility against me and are unwilling to obey me, I will increase the plague on you seven times according to your sins. I will let loose among you the beasts of the field, which will bereave you of your children and destroy your cattle and reduce your number so that your roads lie deserted. So he's saying, okay, but if you act with hostility against me, I'm going to increase the plague on you seven times. Okay, so he's saying things are going to get bad if you start to disobey me. Then he continues. If by these things you are not turned to me, but act with hostility against me, then I will act with hostility against you, and I, even I, will strike you seven times for your sins. So he's saying, now, if that's not bad enough and you still continue to act with hostility, I'm going to increase the difficulty for you. When I break your staff of bread, ten women will bake your bread in one oven, and they will bring you back your bread in rationed amounts so that you will eat and not be satisfied. So he's saying, if you continue and continue and things are continuing to get worse, I'm still going to allow it to get worse for you. Yet, if in spite of this you do not obey me, but act with hostility against me, then I will act with wrathful hostility against you, and I, even I, will punish you seven times for your sins. Further, you will eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters you will eat. All right, and Jonathan, I want to say, before we comment on this, because we're almost out of time, for the folks who are waiting uh, on on the phone, we're going to have to take you in the second hour. But um, Hang on, yeah, hold on. Don't, don't go away. Uh, but, but here's the thing. What God is saying is, you need to be obedient to me. And, and he, he didn't like make being obedient some kind of mystery. No. He, he said, this is the way I'm, I'm looking for you to act. And if you don't, it's going to get worse. And then if you continue not to, it's going to get worse. And then if you continue not to, it's going to get worse. And he, said, he says, it's going to get to a point where you are, the, the consequences, your, your deprivation is going to be so severe, you're going to be starving to death. Now, is God doing it to them? No, No. they're doing it to themselves. He's saying that is just going to be a result 
of you not listening. This is where you are going to be bringing yourself. God did not tell them to eat their children. Or order them to do it. Of course he didn't. Or sanction it. No, no, no. He was simply saying, look, this is serious. You are my chosen people. And does that make God a racist? We'll deal with that in the second, second hour. Uh, and so, folks, again, if we're not on your, in your area, go to ChristianQuestions.com and click Listen Live and stay with us for that second hour. But here, God is not saying, well, yeah, go eat your, 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 your children because, you know, I'm telling you to. He didn't say that at all, not even remotely close. He said that life is going to get so difficult, that's where you're going to get to. That's how desperate you're going to become. And what that does, Jonathan, is that tells us the severity of living in the prison house of sin and death. The severity of living in the prison house of sin and death basically says we are subject to terrible things on a daily basis. And look around in our world today. Is it not still true? Oh, it is true. It's just far more sophisticated now than it was then. Back then, you had an ancient society. You didn't have technology. And you had peoples that would war against one another. And when there was war, it was all-out war. And if you've ever watched a movie that, that depicts Awful. Uh, you know, ancient battles, mm. it is. We look at that and we say, barbaric. Exactly. That was survival in those days. We call it barbaric because now we can have the killing done and we don't have to be a part of it. Push a button. Right. <laughs> and, and, but, you know, it's just, it's just the same kind of thing. We live in a world where the rules of the prison house of sin and death are such that they require that barbaric behavior. Now, could humanity try to raise the things up? Sure they could. Do they? No, we don't. So you got to ask yourself the question, who are the barbarians? Is it God who allows things to unfold because of mankind's decision, or is it man who creates the unfolding by their continued decisions? Folks, in the second hour, we're going to get to several more of those accusations against God and look at the God of the Old Testament through the eyes of reason, through the eyes of context, and the eyes of understanding. So don't go away. We'll be back soon for Jonathan and Rick. It's Christian Questions. The question on the table is, does the same God rule in the Old and New Testament much, much more to come, so stay with us. Until we're back, think about it. This is Christian Questions. Abraham Lincoln once said, I have always found that mercy bears richer fruits than strict justice. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Christian Questions Talk Radio with your breakfast with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Jonathan, we've got a tough topic this morning. We do indeed. And Rick, our question this morning is, does the same God rule in the Old and New Testament? And we have a, a double theme text coming up. Isaiah 45, 7, the first, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. So there gives you an Old Testament view. God says, I create evil. Well, does he really say, well, anyway. <laughs> or, First John 4, 8, he that loveth not knoweth not God, 
for God is love. And that's the way we always prefer to look at God. And this morning what we're doing is saying, look, there's a lot of accusations out there uh, about God and about who, who he is and the tyrant and the, and, and the miserable monster that he appears to be in the Old Testament. And Jonathan, let's just rattle off the eight accusations we, 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 we put on the table at the beginning of the first hour. Well, the God of the Old Testament is a merciless killer of men, women, children, uh, in the name of conquest. Next one, the God of the Old Testament orders cannibalism. The next, the God of the Old Testament blesses the murder of children. Next, the God of the Old Testament is an angry and vengeful God. Next, the God of the Old Testament is racist. Next, the God of the Old Testament sanctions rape. The next, the God of the Old Testament slaughters innocent children for merely being immature. And then finally, the God of the Old Testament is the author of evil. Those are the accusations, and we literally took them off of... Uh, input from those who look at God and, and say, "There's, you know, this. This is a, He's a monster. Uh, he's fictional, and you know, why do you bother?" Sort of thing. And we're going through these essentially one at a time. We won't be able to cover them all in this hour, but uh, we're going through them one at a time and trying to put it all in perspective. Uh, before we go back to uh, another soundbite, um, we do have a call that's been very patiently waiting on the line uh, all this time. So why don't we go to the phones? All right. Well, we have Beth from Tennessee. Good morning, Beth, and welcome to Christian Questions. Hey, good morning, guys. How good, are you? Good morning. Thanks for waiting. Um, I just wanted to make some quick points. I think I think people forget that the Old Testament is basically the history of the ancient Hebrews. And, you know, God was making something from nothing. He was making a nation for himself. He was bringing the people who were Bedouins, who worshipped many gods, into one a monotheistic nation. He was separating them and making them holy and making the way for the Jewish nation and therefore the Christian nation and therefore making the way for Jesus. Uh, and he was fighting for them. He was their champion. He was, um, uh, you know, he wasn't some, like the book of Joshua, the, the total annihilation, the total battle. The people had to totally be wiped out so that uh, the nation could be holy. The nation could be could begin to to be born. And so, I think a lot of people forget that that God had in the purpose uh, in His plan then was for this nation to be different and to be. Uh, 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 to be his and his people. So I think, uh, you know, if we remember that he was the champion of the Hebrews during all these things and showing them how to live with dietary laws and societal laws and keeping them healthy and, and telling them what to do, then, then maybe we can get a, a little bit better understanding of, of these things. But that's all I wanted to say. All right, Beth. Well, thanks. We appreciate it very much. Okay. Good stuff. Us. Thanks. And, and you know, Beth is, is bringing out an important point. This is the history of the, of, of the Hebrew nation, and the thing to remember, and, and the thing that's hard though, Jonathan, is okay if he's if he's bringing out this people for his namesake, then why does he still work within all of those other horrible, horrible ways of of, of life, especially with battle? And and the answer is because God wasn't changing the rules of dealing with the other nations. It was all sinful. Those were th- those were not the rules God made up. Remember that. The rules of battle were the rules a man made up. That's how man 
nation dealt with nation. Good point. God simply allowed, just the way God allowed Israel to have a king, mm-hmm. and said, okay, you can have your king, but here's what's going to happen. There's several consequences right. for that king. But he allowed the human will to be fulfilled. You've got to understand, that's the God of eternity. And he is the God of life, the author of life, and therefore the author of resurrection. Let's not forget that part. Beth, thanks so much. We really appreciate that perspective. Uh, now let's go to a different perspective. Let's go to, uh, this was an atheist program, got, from, got it from uh, YouTube, and it was uh, God's kill count in the Old Testament. And of course, this is from an atheist program, and they're practically laughing and smiling as they're going through what you're about to hear. These are the, these are the uh, murders committed uh, personally by the God himself. <clears throat> Everyone in the whole world, except for Noah and his family, Lot's wife, all of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, except for Lot, who was considered good because he offered his virgin daughters to a mob of men and then slept with both of them himself later. Uh, God burned all the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, according to the Bible. Okay, and we're going to come back to them uh, a little bit uh, because they've got all kinds of great things to share with you in terms of of, of the, the the actions relating to God in the Old Testament. Now, again, it all needs to be put in context. That's the first thing. And the second thing is once we put it in context, we have to make sure the context is the context not only of the Bible itself, but the context of eternity, the context of God, the creator of life. And we're talking, it's a physical People, it's a physical land, Rick. And we're really going to get into that in just a couple of minutes. Let's go to another one of those um, those accusations, Jonathan. This one, the God of the Old Testament blesses the murder of children. And this is, this is a tough one. Psalm 137, 7 to 9. Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raz it, raz it to its very foundation. A daughter of Babylon, you devastated one. How blessed will be the one who repays you with a recompense with which you have repaid us. How blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your little ones against the rock. That is a hard statement. How blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your little ones against a rock. And you think, read that and you think, I mean, that's heartbreaking to hear that. Let's go to the commentary from Barnes, and I, and I might interrupt you here uh, as you go through this. This refers to what was not uncommon in ancient warfare, as it is now among savage tribes, the indiscriminate slaughter of those of all ages and of both sexes in war. All right, so that was the way of war, first of all. That's what happened. And, Jonathan, we look at that and say, oh, that's hideous. Folks, I just want to ask you a very pointed question. We say that's hideous, the, 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 the purposeful destruction of, of innocence. What about abortion? Isn't that hideous? Isn't that just because it's some, there's something inconvenient? Isn't that the same kind of thing and it is legal in our society that looks back on these things as barbaristic? And how many millions have died? Just think about that as we go. If you want to point your finger at God, let's look in the mirror first. Let's continue. It was expressly foretold of Babylon that the world would occur... Uh, and the notes, um, and there would be a reference here to that prediction. And the psalmist may mean to say that the man would be accounted happy, or would be happy, who 
wreaked vengeance on Babylon in carrying out that prophecy. So the blessedness is the fact that Babylon, um, the, the prophecy was against Babylon, and it was going to happen. And because, it, and this is a hard one, Jonathan, because it's a step in the process of fulfilling the plan of God, there is a blessedness to that. And you say, well, how could there be a blessedness to that? Because God is the God of life, and God is the God of resurrection. Let's not forget that part. If you want to make a judgment on things like this, you have to look at it that way. The prophecies of God are always fulfilled. God does not change the manner of warfare among sinful men, nor does he shrink at the application of justice in a world ruled by sin. He doesn't change the manner of warfare, Jonathan. He allows it to happen the way it is. The manner of ancient warfare was not invented by God, but he did allow man to destroy his fellow man after man's own heart. And that still happens today. When dealing with other nations, they would fight each other in the same manner. God simply allowed the things that were put in place by mankind to continue. Now, is that a, a God of, of evil and darkness? No, that is a God who is teaching an eternal lesson of the consequences of living sinfully. That's what that is. Well, Rick, let's go to the phones. We have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Gentlemen, good morning. I've been waiting patiently. Okay. <laughs> you know, you know, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, when Beth, the way Beth was, was talking, <clears throat> for a moment, <clears throat> I'm sorry, for a moment I said, you know, uh, uh, she was so on, so accurate in what she, Beth was saying. I said, uh, you guys, close up your notes and go home. <laughs> but anyway, I, I agree with what she said. Yeah, the... It's the same God. It answers to your question. Mm -hmm. It's the same God. And uh, I've, I think I've shared this with you before. I believe that uh, the New Testament is hidden in the Old, and the Old is revealed in the New. So Jehovah God, to be understood, we have to understand his four attributes, love, justice, power, and wisdom. You know, some, which comes first? I uh, love justice. You know, that's an old debate. I, I, lately, I've been inclined to think that uh, wisdom uh, over, oversees the whole operation. Whatever God does, it's his wisdom that really uh, should uh, prevail. Romans 11.35. Who has known the mind of God or who has been his counselor? And uh, one final scripture about all of these uh, 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 terrible things that you described. Uh, one day, I believe uh, Psalms 76, verse 10, will be fulfilled. Uh, and that is the uh, Psalm 76, 10. Surely the wrath of men shall praise thee. The remainder of the wrath shalt thou restrain. God bless. Thank you. Thank you, Joyce. Appreciate your call. Okay, Totally awesome scripture at the end there, Julius. Totally awesome. Psalm 7610. Thanks so much. Jonathan, we want it, we, we're going to have to rush this little portion here, but the context for the nation of Israel. Here, and this is going to be from uh, Exodus 34, verses 1 to 17. Here we, we're going to begin to see how God dealt with Israel as a physical nation. It was about the land, it was about the people, and who they would worship. This was a physical relationship, and therefore the law, instruction, and consequences would all be physical as well. And that's why you have all this about warfare and everything in the Old Testament. Let's just touch on this. Exodus 34, go ahead. Now the Lord said to Moses, Cut out for yourselves two stone tablets 
tablets like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets which you shattered. Okay, so you have the law given. Let's go down to the next section. So we cut out two stones. No, no, oh, next. Okay. And, the Lord. and proclaim, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who gives in, who forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sins. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. So God's loving kindness goes for thousands of generations, but he doesn't allow guilt to go unpunished, and there's a generational consequence as well for guilt as it should be. Next verse. Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. He said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your own possession. So Moses is begging on, the, on, the, on behalf of the people, I know we're obstinate, but please bless us, please guide us, please direct us. And God said, Behold, I am going to make a covenant. Before all your people I will perform miracles which have not been produced in all the earth, nor among any other nations. So he's saying, Yes, I will, and I'm going to do things that you've never seen before, and then just go down to verse 12. Watch yourselves that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land in which you are going, or it will become a snare in your midst. So he's saying, make sure that you stay close to me. This is God speaking to them, to Israel, saying, otherwise there are consequences. You are my chosen people. That means you have to live to a higher standard. Why such a physical approach? God is a God of eternity. To reclaim a physical creation from sin, he would first set the physical standard of acceptability within their physical world. You had to start with the physical world. That's where the reclaiming begins. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject, does the same God rule in the Old and New Testament? Coming up, is the God of the Old Testament a racist? Could he also sanction rape as the norm? This can't be good. Can it? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, does the same God rule in the Old and New Testament? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, several things. I just want to recap a little bit of the last segment because Beth's call really focused on focusing on, on gathering Israel as a nation. That's right. Julius focused on the wrath of the nations will be turned to the glory of God. Yes. Okay? And in Exodus, the scripture we went was running through at the end of the last segment was focusing on the fact that God was choosing Israel and giving them guidelines and he was a blesser, a great blesser of nations, but also a bringer of justice. And he would do that within the context, within the context of the way mankind was running 
mankind's world. Because remember, mankind was given dominion over the world. He was. So he's dealing with the physical people exactly. and the physical land. Because that's what his creation was. It was physical. And that's why the New Testament takes on a whole different attitude. Because it's about spiritual things, not physical. And that we'll talk about in part two. That's right. We'll get to that in part two. Let's get to the next accusation. And again, folks, if you have a thought, it's 866 Next accusation, Jonathan, is a tough one. God of the, uh, the God of the Old Testament is a racist. And that is a very, uh, that, that, that's a word that really instills a lot of emotion in our world. Why do people say that? Deuteronomy 7.6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And you say, look, that's not fair. He picks one group of people and chooses them and he favors them and his his wrath is against everybody else. Oh, that's not fair. And Okay, well, how about reading the rest of the verse, okay? okay. And again, context is such an important thing. So God chooses this 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 nation, but let's go to Deuteronomy verse 7 verses uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 7 to 11. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the other peoples. You were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So God is essentially saying, I chose you a small and feeble group, which we would look upon and say, wow, he's, he's picking up the underdog. That's what I would have said. He's, they're the underdog. <laughs> and he's saying, and I did that because your forefathers had shown me faithfulness, which would indicate God was looking for faithfulness in the world, mm-hmm. and he found it in Abraham. Yes. And so there was a reward for that faithfulness to be able to pass on generationally. Blessings. Those ex- Right, exactly. So God chose the lesser of the peoples of the time. Now let's get fi- finish the verse. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is the God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments, but repays those who hate him to their faces to destroy them. He will not delay with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore you shall keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I have commanded you today to do them. And there's an indication in that verse that Israel was also subject to God's wrath. Oh, they were. And a lot of the destruction brought by God in the Old Testament was upon Israel itself. Mm-hmm. So For disobedience. If you are a racist, are you destroying your own people? Of course not. No. So what it's showing is God was looking for faithfulness. God was looking for those who would be willing to follow his ways in a world that was following completely different ways. And which Beth mentioned were healthy ways, right, good ways for the people to survive, and his, to flourish. And his choice for blessing also carried the consequences for disobedience. But Jonathan, the other part about this is anyone could have looked at the life of the Jewish nation and become part of that nation if they wanted to. That's right. So it, there's no racism involved. It is living, is drawing a people to a higher standard and, and sort of advertising that standard and saying, here, you could also be like this. Just be willing to live the way I'm telling them to live. Mm-hmm. No racism. Nope. Just showing a higher way. Let's go to another soundbite from that atheist program we were telling you about. God's kill count in the Old Testament. And they're just having a grand old time listing off all of the, 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 the 
the, the terrible things, and they are terrible, the terrible things that happened in the Old Testament. Uh, Ur, Judah's firstborn son, Ur's brother Onan, the firstborn of all of Egypt, the Pharaoh and all of his uh, army in the Red Sea, Nadab and Abihu were killed by God because he was upset that they made a fire. Uh, some Jews were burned for complaining. A plague was sent against the Jews for being greedy. Another plague was sent to the Jews who gave the chosen land a bad report. That killed 11 of said Jews. Korah and the other Jews who didn't like Moses were killed. And you know, obviously you get the, the gist. They're going to go on and on and on. And somebody went to a lot of trouble to assemble that list. They did. It's too bad they didn't try to assemble it and put it in its proper context. That's right. Because, again, people who want to point at God and say, look what a monster, have a preset agenda. And that is to say, God is a monster. Rather than accepting the Bible as a whole, because if you're going to drop in and say, well, look at these things he did here, here, and here, then why don't you also talk about the fact that God is the God of life? God is the creator of life. God is the God of time. God is a God of prophecy and plan. And resurrection, Rick. And God is the God of resurrection. So if you're going to nitpick, why not nitpick those parts because all of the darkness and all of the killing and all of the, 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 the wars and, and, and things like that are in the context of a God of, 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 of eternity. Let's not forget that we are human beings and we are not in the context of eternity. No, we're not. And so when we wreak havoc on one, one upon another, can we say we are the author of life? No, no, we can't. Can we say we are the author of resurrection? No. How about the abortion issue? Right. You can't, when we make a choice. You can't. We cannot put ourselves in the place of God. God is far higher. And if you're going to look at the Bible, then look at the rest of it, please. Let's not just nitpick and say, say, see, this proves my point. No, it doesn't. It proves your ignorance. That's what it does. It proves your ignorance and your, your unwillingness to look to find the truth. And that's what this is about this morning, Jonathan. And, and folks, forgive me. I'm, I'm, you, I can feel it. I'm, I'm getting myself <laughs> worked up because I, I resent, personally resent those who are pointing fingers at God without looking at the whole story. You know, last week's program was on gossip, right? Yes, it was. Well, that's about as big a gossip and slander as you can possibly have by, by just taking little pieces and saying, oh, see, see, see. No, no, look at the whole story. Anyway, okay. Let's go. I'm back. Okay. <laughs> Next accusation, the God of the Old Testament sanctions rape. That, and again, Jonathan, in our world, you hear that and you think that is hideous. And you know what? It is hideous. And it's not true. Let's read this, the, the scripture, Deuteronomy 21, 10 through 12. When you go out to battle against your enemies, and the Lord your God delivers them into your hands, and you take them away captive, and seeing among the captives a beautiful woman, and have a desire for her, and would take her as a wife for yourself, then you shall bring her home to your house, and she shall shave her head and trim her nails. Now see, what we would do in our world if we want to nitpick and accuse God, you say, and you see among the captives a beautiful woman and have a desire for her, we're just going to say, take her for yourself. And we're going to skip the rest of the context there. We're going to skip the part about taking her as a wife and all of that. Mm -hmm. But what did God tell them? Now, look, that was, that was a command of God. There's no question about it. And you say, well, how could he possibly do that? Well, first of all, before we get to that part, let's go through the rest of the verse and see what God required of them if they were going to do this. 
She shall also remove the clothes of her captivity, and shall remain in your house, and mourn her father and mother a full month. And after that, you may go into her and be her husband, and she be your wife. If It shall be, if you are not pleased with her, that you shall let her go wherever she wishes. But you shall certainly not sell her for money. You shall not mistreat her, because you have humbled her. So this is, Jonathan, this is not talking about rape in any way, shape, manner, or form. This is talking about taking her, she removes the clothes of her captivity. What it's saying is she's no longer treated as a captive. She is now treated as a member of your household. And you don't touch her at this point. There That's is, right. There, and, 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 you know, the whole idea of, you know, rape, that, that this, this does not fit the, 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 uh, the description, not even remotely close. You leave her alone for a month. She mourns her father and her mother, and, and then, then you can be her husband. Not, you can't ravage her. You can be her husband. And there was a respect required husband to wife. That's right. But now you say, well, it was against your will. Probably was. But you know what? In the times of the Old Testament, women didn't have a lot of say on anything. That's right. What would happen if the battle took place and the women and children were left behind? How would they survive? Right. They wouldn't have. They wouldn't have. So this is giving a, a, a sense that women in that time, and again, this is not just a Jewish thing. No. This is a historical fact Women of the time were basically treated as second-class citizens. They actually were in, in, in many, many cultures that surrounded Israel at the time. God was saying, I'm going to allow that. And you, know, you say, well, why could God, would God allow that? Well, that was part of the curse. Yes, it was. It was part of the curse. Let's go to the, the commentator um, pool on this. He just makes a couple of quick points here. To express her sorrow for the loss of her father and mother... It became the ancient custom of mourners in most nations to shave themselves and in some to pare their nails, in others to suffer them to grow, or rather, in token of her renouncing her heathenism, her idolatry and superstition, and of her becoming a new woman and embracing the true religion, religion which her captive condition and subjection to his will would make her inc- inclinable to do profession. Okay, so in other words, there were two separate reasons for the shaving of the head and the paring of the nails. One, and it's hard to tell which one really applies here, and that's mm-hmm. why we're mentioning both. Yep. One of them was that that was a custom of many nations for mourning. Mm-hmm. So what it was saying, it was, it was allowing them to mourn the way they normally would have mourned. Or it could have been saying this could have also been to renounce an idolatrous life and take on a life as part of the nation of Judaism, uh, of Judaism mm-hmm. like we talked about. People could become part of that, that nation. But the fact of the matter is, Jonathan, it's not saying she just becomes a, 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 a tool of sexual gratification. No. She becomes the wife. That's the point. And in a context and at a time, women of that time had few rights in most cultures. And, and that, again, as it was a result of the curse upon Eve. Here it speaks of taking someone as a wife. It doesn't talk about this, this, this ravaging that, that we would imagine. So she'll be cared for, respected, right. honored, a part of the family. And, and the other part of this that's so important, Jonathan, is uh, she, she's, she's respected as part of the family, not a slave. And it shows respect for the woman's life and experience. And the thing here is, it says now, if you are not pleased with her, then you let her go wherever she wants to go. You don't sell her for money. She is a free individual. She is free. 
that has no no connection with that with that horrible accusation. That's right. Now, again, would we say that you should do that in this society today? No, we wouldn't. Because women now have equal rights, and it's a whole different ball game. And God would work within the rules of the society that's presently in place. That's the way God did it. But again, Jonathan, all of this was about the physical people, the physical land, and a physical nation. Because God, as the God of eternity, as the God of a plan, when mankind sinned, God put the plan in place of reconciliation. And now how do you reconcile? One step at a time. And the first step is to label sin for what it is and to label the consequences of sin. How do you do that? You let it, you let it go. You let it develop. You let it fester. You let it grow. You let it do what it does. And then you make your people live in the context of that. It's like you've made your bed, now lay in it. That's right. God allowed that for the experience. And you say, well, why would he do that? Isn't that cruel? It would be cruel if God was not a God of resurrection. Oh, that's for sure. It would be unexplainable if God was not a God of eternity. But he is. He is a God of resurrection. He is a God of eternity. And that's why we can look at these things and say, there is much more to this than meets the eye. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject, Does the Same God Rule in the Old and New Testament? Coming up, the Atheist Program with God's final kill count of the Old Testament. Is it smaller or larger than we think? And how does it compare to the 20th century? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Does the Same God Rule in the Old and New Testament? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, as we continue, we've got a couple of, um, actually one more of the uh, accusations we're going to be dealing with here uh, today. But I just want, just a quick comment before we go to the phones. And that is, let's remember, God is a God of reconciliation. He's the author of life. He's the God of resurrection. And allowed sin to come to its full fruition. God, through the last several thousand years has allowed sin to reign and come to its full fruition so that humankind, for all of eternity, will be able to look back on that experience and say, and that wasn't worth it. Don't want to go back there. Right. No matter what we tried, no matter what level of, of, of intelligence we achieved, no matter what technology we developed. Form of government. Right. No matter what, it all ended badly. Yes. God is going to continue to allow that and that is why God works through the world of sin. We just and, and again in the Old Testament it was a very physical thing because it was a physical nation dealing with physical warfare whereas the New Testament is entirely different. Well, Rick, let's go to the phones and we have Randall from Connecticut. Good morning, Randall, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning. Happy Sunday, guys. To you too. We have Isaiah 121. How the faithful city has become a whore. She that was full of justice but now murderers. God is in a relationship with humanity, and in any relationship with someone you love, you sometimes say harsh things. But God never despairs of us. 
Hosea 2.14. Therefore, I will now allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. God allows freedom of individuals and nations while drawing us to himself. God leads us within history. He doesn't force himself on us. Sometimes we allow a child to make mistakes. How much more must God love? Jeremiah 31.3 I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Randall, thanks so much. We appreciate it. God bless you guys. Take care. You too. And, and you know, Randall did put it in perspective. And, and he, he's giving us the sense that God is a God of eternity. He doesn't despair of our darkness and our evil. He allows it. He'll, he'll make us work through, lay in the bed that we've made, okay? He's, gonna, he's going to work through that for a better end result. Randall, thanks so much for the call. We appreciate it. Uh, folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. Again, we're live Sunday morning from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And Christian Questions, a weekly habit that's good for you. Thanks for tuning us in every Sunday morning from 7 to 9. Join our conversation anytime at ChristianQuestions.com. All right, let's go on to uh, the last accusation we're going to deal with this week. And any ones that we didn't deal with this week, we're going to come back in part two. The God of the Old Testament slaughters innocent children for merely being immature. Um, and this is from Second Kings two nineteen to 25. Then the men of the city said to Elijah, Behold now, the situation of this city is pleasant. As my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. He went out to the spring of water and threw salt into it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have purified these waters. There shall not be from there death or unfruitfulness any longer. So the waters have been purified to this day, according to the word of Elijah, and which he spoke. Then he went up from there to Bethel, and as he was going up that way, young lads came out from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, you bald-head man. Go up, you bald-head. When he looked behind him and saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two female bears came out of the woods and tore up forty-two lads of their number. He went from there to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. So you have Elisha, the follower of Elijah, um, in this situation where he's being mocked. And uh, what ends up happening is a, a bear comes out of the woods and mauls 42 of these Young men. Young lads. Okay, now, again, when you read the scripture from the King James Version, you get the sense of uh, these are children, okay, because it, ta- it talks about um, there came, by the way, young lads out of the city. And when you think of a young lad, I don't know, I think of somebody 10 or 12 or yeah, something like yeah. that. And, and, and here's the thing, folks. Again, context is important. Understanding what's said uh, and what's meant is important. Let's go to the commentator Gill on this because th- he, he brings out a very important point about who these young lads, quote-unquote, really were. There came forth little children out of the city. The word for children is used of persons of 30 or 40 years of age. And though these are said to be little, they were so well grown as to be able to go forth out of the city themselves without anyone to guide them or to take care of them, and were of age, capable not only of taking notice of Elisha's baldness, but knew him to be a prophet, and were able to distinguish between good and evil, and from a malignant spirit in in them mocked at him as such, and at that assumption of Elisha. 
So what, what basically it's saying is these were not children. They were young men. Right. They knew what they were doing. And the interesting thing, Jonathan, here is that this, this, this calling the man a, a bald head was a very significant insult in those days. It's very much like, you know, in, in the Middle East now, uh, in, in some of the Arab countries, if someone is, is speaking and somebody throws their shoe at them, in some countries that is punishable by death. Wow. Because that is a very serious insult. That's what this was. Now, Elisha had just made the waters going into the city. He, he had cleansed them so they, it was now drinkable. And it was for them. It was for them. These young men and their families. And the point is, these were men. These were not little boys. These were not, you know, seven, eight, nine-year-old boys. 30 to 40 years these of age. These were young men who knew what they were doing. And when you look at this, I mean, did God do this? No, he didn't. But did he allow it? Yes, he did. He absolutely did. Why? He allows the forces of nature to depict the wrath of the creator of nature upon the mockery of those who would represent him, God, especially after the prophet had just cured the waters of the city of bitterness, from bitterness. So it really put things in perspective in terms of these individuals. And, and they, were, they, were, they, were, they were of a mocking mentality and they were put a, a curse was put on them. They all didn't die, but many of them did, mm-hmm. because that's the justice of it. And and you're you're dealing in the Old Testament where justice rules and reigns, according to the w- rules of the a, pri- sin, a sin-filled world. Right, the prison house of sin and death. Jonathan, let's go to the final uh, the final count, if you will, from that atheist program on God's kill count in the Old Testament. Haman's army of 510 people, more of that army, 75,300 people, and we're finally done for, uh, from the, uh, with the things actually listed in the Bible. That totals, are you ready for this, folks? More than 2,017,956 people ordered, killed, according to the Bible, by the God of the Bible. That is, of course, not counting any of the groups that, uh, for which the Bible doesn't give an exact figure, like everybody on earth except for Noah and his family. This is not even counting 65 entire cities listed in the Bible as destroyed and their residents slain by order of the God where they didn't bother to give the exact figures of how many dead. So they've made this big point that you can count over two million people that were exterminated by God in the Old Testament. And they said there's plenty of others that weren't counted. So let's, let, let's take that and let's be liberal with it. Let's say, okay, you've got two million. And let's say there's another four or five million that weren't counted. You say, wow, you're going to say seven million people. Yeah, maybe eight even. Okay, whatever it was, the point is, Jonathan, we're not going to nitpick the number because we want to take it in context. and We want to be liberal in, in approaching and say, okay, you look at the God of the Old Testament, we've given explanation again and again and again how God works in the context of a sinful world. And eternity at right. the same time. What about us? Now, if we're going to be so big and so bold as to point a little finger at God and say, you did this. Folks, let's look in the mirror of human history, shall we? And let's not go through, oh, I don't know, 6,000 years. Let's go through 100 years. Let's just go to the last 
100 years of human history. This is not, this isn't got nothing to do with God. Here we are saying God is a monster, okay? And we're labeling God as a monster because maybe he had six or seven million people killed over 6,000 years. Let's look at human history for the last hundred years. Jonathan, this is from Death and Wars and Conflicts in the 20th Century by Milton Leitenberg from Cornell University. A beastly century. It was a phrase used by Margaret Drabble, a British novelist, in the address to the Royal Society of Literature in London on December 14, 2000. But of course it was no more than a human century. In 1994, the historian Herrick Hobsbawm wrote that 187 million people were killed or allowed to die by human decision. Okay, killed or allowed to die by human decision. And what he called the short century, a period of about 75 years from 1914 to 1991. Given the Hobbbombs uh, is a Marxist historian, his choice of the category of human decision was practically significant. However... The sum that he provided was low by just about 44 million people for the full 20th century, during which approximately 231 million people died in wars and conflict in a very large number by human decision. So let's look in the mirror of human history for the last century and reveal that according to historians, the factual number of humankind killed and allowed to die by human decision is 231 million people... In 100 years. In 100 years. And we have the audacity to look at God and say, well, look at the people that he had exterminated, and he did in the Old Testament over several thousand years. Come on, people. But he is the God of resurrection. Mankind has no control right. over that. So, so we can look at, if you're going to point the finger at God, you know my grandmother used to always say that when you point the finger, you know, four fingers or three fingers are pointing back at you. Yes, yes. <laughs> and when you're doing that, you'd better look in the mirror and say, okay, what does this mean for humanity? Who's the monster? Who, who has control over eternity? Do we? No. Who killed more? People. We Men. did. We did. Folks, understand, if you want to pick on God, why don't we look in the mirror first and say, who is the real monster here? Jonathan, as we continue, we need to wrap this up. And folks, we apologize. We couldn't get to everybody on the phone. But part two of this program is coming up in a few weeks. And we're going to be looking at the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. So here is a transition scripture to go from old to new. Isaiah 6, verses 8 through 11. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until cities are devastated and without a habitation. Houses are without people, and the land is utterly desolate. So you have a very difficult prophecy, which Jesus himself said he was fulfilling. And the part that we don't hear Jesus talking about is, until the cities are devastated and without inhabitant. You know, so you know, the destruction seems to continue, but how is it that the, that the head count, essentially, in the New Testament, pretty much goes away? I mean, and that's the thing, Jonathan, that, folks, several weeks from now we're going to be dealing with part two. But here's what we see. Thus far we see that the strict justice approach in the Old Testament did not in any way finish the work of reconciling the physical creation to, of man to God. 
On the other hand, it only served to identify sin and how far the sinful race of man was away from God. So obviously, Jonathan, it's a labeling process. It is. Over several thousand years. It's a labeling process and more would need to be done. And thus this scripture in Isaiah comes into play. Much more, uh, for this was just, it was, the be- it was just the beginning, the foundation of the work of God toward his physical creation. And again, Israel was a physical nation living in a physical world, inheriting a physical land. So all of how God dealt with them was so he could connect with them in their physical environment. And that's why he instructed them. In, in times of war. They were to fight physical battles against other human beings because that was their lot. He was esta- allowing man to fight along the lines of how mankind had decided war should be fought. He allowed his people to fight that way because those were the ways of sin. It was only a piece of the puzzle, only a part of the process that God was putting in place for the reconciliation of mankind because God is the God of life and he is the God of resurrection. He is the God of time. Folks, we hope you've enjoyed being with us this morning. We certainly enjoyed being with you, and we will be back again next week with another subject. We'll be coming back to this subject in a few weeks. But until then, for Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, does the same God rule in the Old and New Testament? Yes, he does, and thank God for that. Until next week, think about it.